let me welcome you if you're brand new. I'm Danny, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Kesset, so thanks for coming by. We, uh, we're having a lot of fun. The last uh, couple months, God has just been just blowing our, our minds with all the stuff that he's doing, and uh, this series that we're about to launch, Rise, into the book of Acts, we expect no different. We think he's going to do some incredible stuff, and he's going to do it because he deserves it. That's why he's going to do it. You ever wonder why God blesses certain things or certain organizations or certain places or certain people? It's because he deserves it. And what he requires is that we remember that he deserves it, that he is the one who receives the glory and that he does it all for his benefits because he is holy and incredible and loving and gracious and perfect in every way. And uh, I've never been more in love with him than I am right now. Uh, it's just, it's unbelievable the stuff he's revealing and the stuff he's showing. And it's, it's a little scary um, but also really, really exciting. And so I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're just going to kind of open the doors up, and let's, let's, see how, uh, let's see how this thing runs, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for this place. Thank you for these people and the way that you are connecting them uh, to you. May you receive all the glory. May you receive uh, every ounce of what happens here today. May it be for no other reason than for you. May... Um, God, any distractions, anything that we brought with us that could keep us from experiencing you, just uh, be muted as you work with us, as you confront us, as you discipline us, as you encourage us, as you show us, as you shield us, as you lift us up or lay us down. Whatever you want to do, God, you can do it with each of us all at the same time, and we ask that that would be exactly what happens in this room. Thank you for every person here. We ask that they'd bring it all, all their concerns, all their stuff, all their fears, that they'd be willing to expose it all before you because you're ready, God, and you're willing and you're waiting. And so we ask that, Lord, you would challenge us to rise to this place that you've called us to live. We thank you, Lord, and we bring you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the first chapter of Acts. We're going to make it through most of that and a little bit into chapter two, so not too many verses. I wasn't sure how far I wanted to get into it, but uh, I just kind of prepared until I felt really truly that God was like, okay, that's, that's what I want to do this week. Uh, this verse uh, that we're about to, these verses that we're about to start, really, they have a couple different purposes, and I want to I set context for those before we read them. The first thing you need to realize about the book of Acts is that as Pastor Paul shared last week, uh, they are uh, a continuance of the book of Luke. And so when you look at the book of Luke and you look at the book of Acts, there's like a part one kind of feel, and then there's a sort of part two kind of feel. Um, both books start off with, uh, oh, Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, uh, some people believe is an actual person, but the name itself means basically, oh, beloved one. And so a whole other group of people believe that actually it's written to just the church and the future church, the oh, beloved ones, you and I. Either way, there's obviously uh, importance in the name. And what Luke is doing in this book that he's continuing on is he's shared now all that Jesus was and all that he's brought. And now he's sharing how Jesus has now been crucified. He is coming back from the dead and he's spending the next 40 days really accomplishing two primary things inside the church. Two primary things that you're going to see in this passage that he wants to accomplish. And I want to give them to you so you can look for them. The first thing he came to do was prove. He came to prove that he really was who he said he was, that he really did do all those things. He really was crucified, and it is the same Jesus. He is, when, when um, Thomas says, I don't know about this, God. 
I don't know about this, God. Tom, he, we always say like, oh, Thomas, it's like, Jesus, how would you do that, man? I would never do that. You're lying to yourself. You do it all the time, so do I. This whole context of Thomas, the doubting Thomas thing, is supposed to be a picture of how humanity is with Christ. No matter the miracles, no matter the beauty of birth or the beauty of creation or all the wonderful things we see, we still in our hearts somewhat step back and go, I don't know about this, God. And Jesus steps forward like he does here, and he says, put your hands in my scars, put your hands in my side, feel the wounds of your iniquity upon me. And Thomas believes. I'm a firm believer that in this world right now, there are people that it doesn't matter whether they feel the wounds or see the, the nailed scarred hands, they have chosen not to believe. I, my mind is still blown. I'm a full-blown creationist. I believe that God created our world. I believe that he breathed life into it. For me, to believe any other way is like walking into an art room and seeing a beautiful painting and then assuming there's no painter. It just happened. I don't think that would happen in anyone's world, but our our society now believes, no, 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 this painting just happened. No, no, there's got to be a painter. Look at it. it. It's beautiful. It's in a frame. It's hanging on a wall. No, no, no. It just happened. For me, I'm like, I'm looking around. I'm looking at waves and oceans and storms and mountains and my children and my wife and myself in the mirror. And I'm like, I don't think this just happened. Like, somebody put a lot of time into this. That's what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> About my wife, right? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but, but I'm a firm believer in that. But what I, what I love about this passage is that Jesus still came to recognize that, that people are still going to wrestle. So let's just read those first five verses. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Remember that word began for me, just kind of put it somewhere. Began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Then listen to verse three. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. So for 40 days, he walked around proving that he was who he said he was. Then the second thing he did is the very next phrase, he prepared them, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the second thing Jesus did during those 40 days is he prepared them for the kingdom of God that was happening, for the second covenant is what we know it as. That's why there's this New Testament and there's an Old Testament. The Old Testament is the Old Covenant, the covenant with Abraham and God that he would build a people. The New Testament is with the new Abraham, right? It's with Jesus, who is the new covenant. And he's saying Jesus will come for those 40 days. He's prepared them, or he's proved that he is who he says he is. And now he's prepared them for the kingdom to come. And then he leaves, verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he proves that he is who he says he is, and then he prepares them that the kingdom of God's coming, and he says, and what's gonna happen now is I'm going to leave, and the Holy Spirit is gonna come in replacement of me. Now, this is culturally a little bit different than we understand it, because as the church, we pray to the Holy Spirit, we engage in the Holy Spirit, but what you have to understand up to this point is that the Holy Spirit was a very specific thing. It was a very regional, if you will, thing. The Holy Spirit would fall upon somebody, Elijah, 
Suddenly he would prophesy and pray. The Holy Spirit would fall upon Elisha. The Holy Spirit would fall upon David. The Holy Spirit would fall upon Saul when it, when it, uh, when it bothered him, right? When it tormented him. The Holy Spirit would fall upon people and then leave. The Holy Spirit did not fall and stay until Jesus came, fulfilled all of the Old Testament, Old Covenant prophecies, and then said, now that I have resurrected, now that I have defeated death, now that I've taken all your iniquity, what I'm going to do is leave, but one is com- who is coming who will comfort you, who will stay with you, and he is the comforter. He is the Holy Spirit. It's at this point that finally Jesus leaves, verse 9, and when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, which I think is an awesome sermon prop. I would love if angels appeared when I wanted at the end of my message. And and then the angel spoke. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Return. And so they do. They return. Word spreads that there's something coming. So people who are willing to risk their lives to follow Christ gather in an upper room. An upper room that is about half the size maybe of this one filled with 120 people, which is probably these two sections right here. Did you ever conceive that the original church, the original church, these two or these two, was started with 120 people? I mean, that is not good church plant science. You need more than that. But Jesus' followers are reduced to that, for they are those who are committed, they are those who are willing to risk, and they are those who have believed what he proved and are waiting in preparation for what is about to come. It's just an unbelievable concept that these are the people God's going to use. These are the people that God is going to speak to. These are the people that God is going to cause transformation in their world. Now, one thing you need to realize, earlier in verse 5, when Jesus says uh, that you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. What you need to understand about this is that baptism that Jesus is speaking about is a familiar cultural standing. It's something that exists for everybody. I, don't, I think a lot of Christians believe uh, that we invented baptism. We did not. It's a pagan ritual. So those of you in the room who are anti-Christmas tree, <laughs> you're like, I don't do Christmas trees because pagans back in the day used to cut down trees and bring in to worship to the wood fairies. And I've, I've literally received these conversations and that's why no trees for me. Only crosses with lights on them. And I'm like, what? I don't, I don't know if you really understand that. Like, do you realize that baptism is a pagan ritual that the Lord took through John the baptizer and made his? See, there's actually a lot in scripture about Jesus taking this thing we think is ours or the Holy Spirit taking things we think are ours and then like making them his. And so I wonder sometimes if we're so dead set on, 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 on trying to be so individualistic that we are anti-culture and anti-Christmas tree and anti-all these things that find their roots and, you know, like, I don't like stars, right, pentagrams. And then there's like, well, there's like the star of David, which is pretty close, you know. I mean, it's not fully, but it's, you know, be like, no stars for me, no points, period. 
You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, like how, do we, how do we function in this world? Jesus says right here, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get baptized. Immediately, everybody knew what that meant. Now, they knew what it meant for a Christian because of John the Baptist. By the way, John the Baptist was the first person that the Holy Spirit fell on and stayed on. Fell in his mother's womb. Which I've always wondered, does that mean she's filled with the Holy Spirit because he is? Or is it like, just stay? Is it womb regional? I don't know. <laughs> but I've always wondered, like... <laughs> The baby's filled, but you're not. Is it like one of those vitamins that don't dissolve fast enough and it just stays there? I don't know. And when she was birthed, was she like sad after that? Like, oh, I feel so less spiritual. These are important theological questions that you never need to search or ask <laughs> anyone about. But, but, but here's, here's the thing about John. John took something that was pagan and he made it holy. Now, for those of you who are still wrestling with this idea and waiting for me to prove it, that's no problem. Um, I'm going to read you a quote from my personal friend and mentor, Dr. Charles Swindoll. And uh, (laughs) this is what he said about baptism. The ritual of baptism in ancient culture symbolized identification. An organization or society initiated a new member by immersing him or her in a liquid of some kind, usually water, or in the case of many pagan rituals, the blood of sacrificed animals, which would make baptism a whole lot more interesting, in my opinion. (laughs) So, when one was baptized into a community, he or she became one with that community, and therefore they identified with it. After an initiate had been immersed into something and surrounded by it, he or she emerged from the pool soaked and dripping, or covered, as it were, in the same substance as all the other members that were just baptized. After being baptized into a society, the initiate was considered both a member and a representative of that community's beliefs. They were a person who was baptized into a society, therefore they received everything that goes along with membership, rights, benefits, powers, and responsibilities. The idea is this. This system existed. God took the system and said, I'm going to use it for me. John used it. John even baptized Jesus himself. And then John says, but I am unwilling and unworthy to even untie his sandals. And because Jesus then said later, yeah, this outward symbol is wonderful. It's like a wedding ring. Okay, this wedding ring does not make me married to my wife, although my wife swears that it does. I'm like, this is not what it's about. This is just outward. She's like, yeah, it's outward and it stays or you and I are going to have a problem. And I'm like, that's fine. The ring's on. But if I took this ring off and slipped it on the hand of another man in the room, I can guarantee you my wife wouldn't be like, and now he's my husband. (laughs) Oftentimes, people get baptized, and that's what it's like for them. As a matter of fact, um, I shared for the first time last at 9 o'clock service um, a story, a true story that happened to me. I was baptizing on a Saturday night in a church we had two services at, two uh, Saturdays and Sundays. And I was baptizing Saturday night, and a couple came up to me, and they said, we are living together in sin. We are not married. We are convicted because of this service, and I want to be baptized. I want to make a change in my life, and we need to be different. And she said the same thing, and there was lots of tears and lots of heart and lots of honesty, and they got in that pool, and I was a pretty young pastor, and I didn't ask a lot of questions. And I got another pastor, and we prayed for them, and we baptized them, and we raised them up, and we said, you are cleansed. You are clean. You are no more, you know, you need to wait till you're married. And you need to be different. And they left and they worshiped and they cried. And they came back the next morning and said, could you baptize us one more time? Last night didn't work out so well for us. (laughs) It's true story. True story. No, no, we can't. 
we have further things to talk about. Like, you know, they went home like, I love Jesus, let's pray. Mm, you're so pretty, let's pray. Mm, like, they did not, it did not work out for them. And then they were so guilty, they came back. Uh, one more time, one more time. It, it, it was just, that's not what baptism is, right? It's just a symbol of something that's supposed to happen in your heart. Something that's supposed to transform you. Jesus Christ says, yes, that baptism is important, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to baptize you with something that changes who you are. I'm going to baptize something that soaks your soul. Something that covers every ounce of who you are, even the subconscious, the stuff you don't even know about. I have shared with a lot of you, uh, and it's become a pretty open thing here, which I'm amazed at how many people have come up to me and told me they've never had a leader or especially a pastor share this, but I uh, am on an emotional health journey. This job, uh, if I'm not careful, I really do believe would destroy me. Uh, I don't have the ability or the tools to handle some of the situations that I find myself in. And so about a year and a half ago, I put myself in full-time therapy with an incredible man in Portland that is smarter than me, older than me, been in ministry longer than me. And I go sit and I talk for an hour about all the stuff that I don't know what to do with. One time, he ends up asking me, tell me about your tattoos. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you have a lot of tattoos. And I'm like, yeah, I'm from like Portland, Vancouver. Like, what? Like, my grandma has a tattoo. Well, I don't understand your problem. <laughs> and he's like, well, let's, let's spend some time on that. And so true story, true story. I discovered that, uh, that for me, and some of you know this, but I'm an OHSU Dornbecker kid. I had childhood cancer. And I was in and out of that hospital until I was about 12, 13 years old. And one of the things that you may or may not realize is that when you are radiated during chemotherapy and that whole process, they tattoo you. And as a small child at four years old, they tattoo. I have four tattoos from the hospital, two dots on my chest, two on my back, where uh, they radiated me and didn't want to radiate me again ever in my life. And so they tattooed me. One thing you learn if you've done any emotional health, especially if you're working with children who are sick, because I get to spend time with sick kids sometimes because of my story, but children below about the age of six can't tell the difference between treatment and torture. It's all the same to them. You ever tried to pull a sliver out of a kid's hand? You're like, trust me, this is good for you. And the kid's like, you know, it's like, they don't, they just can't do it. Well, in my life, uh, and because of where I live, I knew that the day I turned 18, sometime within that year, I was going to get a tattoo. I didn't know I'd get so many, But I would just get tattoos, just randomly get tattoos. And what I found out in my story is that when stuff happens to you, oftentimes you will go and repeat that thing that happened to you so you can experience control of how it happened. And this this is a huge, huge talk that we could have. But some of you in this room, you have behavior in your life that you are repeating because of stuff that happened to you because you are back trying to echo through that experience and take control of something that you didn't have control of. That's the story of my tattoos. I learned this about me, and I instantly was sort of like, my tattoos were different. They were no longer a <laughs> cultural thing or a style thing. They were, like, they were like part of my trauma. And I was like, well, that's not cool. Uh, all my tattoos have meaning. All my tattoos uh, tie into my story. And then with that knowledge, I went to um, a conference in the Midwest. Don't know if you've ever done much church work in the Midwest. Not a lot of tattoos there. Like None. I went to a conference of hundreds of pastor, pastors, only guy with tattoos there. As a matter of fact, at first they thought it was the help. They were like, hey, you want to? And I was like, no, I'm here for the conference. And they were like, where are you from? And I was like, Vancouver, Portland. 
and I say Vancouver, Portland, in that area. Vancouver, Portland, they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and then this always happens. You know that's the darkest part of the United States for churches, right? As if like the tattoos are a symbol of that darkness, right? So it makes sense that you're the best they could get over there, man, right? I mean, makes sense. And I was like, okay, cool. I got over it, right? I, I, I shared my story and eventually I was one of the guys and gals. And, and, but I was still always very aware that I was the only one in the room with tattoos. It was really different. I went back to the airport, and in the airport, I'm still pretty keen on, on the fact that I can't believe I'm around so many people that are just, like, naked. Like, there's just no ink anywhere, right? And, and I, I go to get a coffee, and there's a guy reaches up to grab a coffee with a full sleeve. And I was like, right on, man. Right on. Right? I didn't say that, because that's always weird, right? That's what people with no tattoos do. Like, I love your tattoos, but, but people with tattoos don't talk about other people's tattoos. It's super weird. It's like complimenting someone's like eyebrows. Like, yeah, don't just stop. But I'm sitting there and I do end up walking next to him because we're walking to the same place. And guess what? We end up both at the gate headed back to Portland. And as I sit down, I look around and instantly I was home. There was a lady over in the corner, probably 70 years old with a pink mohawk, right? There was a guy in a dress three seats down, right? There was, there was like 15 different people with tattoos. I mean, it was like, I was like, these are my people. Woo! Oh, now here's the thing. These people culturally can't stand what I believe because what I believe is based on 2,000-year-old pieces of paper. It makes no sense to them. But here's what I know because of the Holy Spirit that has transformed my life from the inside out. I know this, that I'm supposed to be here with these people. See, that's the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said was coming. He said, you will know what you're supposed to do. It's not going to make sense. There's all kinds of things we do as a church that don't make sense. We don't run schematics and do all these church planning tools people tell us to do. And, oh, you should always do your budget based on the number of the median income. And I'm like, are you serious? We pray. We're like, God, what do you got for us? Where are we going to go? How are we going to do it? This is your city. These are your people. And we're your church. And we want to be part of what you're doing. So how much should we spend on this? What makes sense? What fits inside the ethos of who we are? Sitting at that gate with those people, I fit inside that ethos. Now, I'm still a deep-seated Christ follower with a Christmas tree. But still, nonetheless... Some of you are like, I don't know, it's all sermon. You lost me at Christmas tree. But the reality is that I am where I'm supposed to be because the Holy Spirit has soaked my soul and this is where he's put me. That's what these people were about to receive. And what's so beautiful about it, and this is what's so incredible about Scripture and the text, is that if you let yourself see what it says right before the Holy Spirit came, you'll see that it gives you a wonderful little picture of what church without the Holy Spirit looks like. See, these people... Although filled with commitment, gathered in 120, a, a space with 120 other believers and waited. And they waited and they waited and they waited and no Holy Spirit. And so they did what churches do when they don't know what the Holy Spirit wants them to do. Good church work. Let's just do some good church work. They sat around and they said, what's the biggest hole in our organization right now while we wait for the Holy Spirit? Oh, I know. We need to replace the disciple who hung himself, Judas. There's supposed to be 12. There's only 11. We need to replace him. And so they decided to replace this disciple. And they, so they came up with some really good and wise criteria. They said it needs to be someone who's been with us from the beginning. 
from when Jesus was baptized all the way through the last three years, the cross, through the resurrection, through the 40 days of teaching, and through the ascension who's now ended up in this room. There's only two guys that qualify. One guy's name is Justice, and the other guy's name is Matthias. We'll read the verse real quick. Verse 21 of Acts. They first qualified them. One of the men who have accompanied us, accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, for only two were qualified. Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, and they said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place, verse 26. And then they cast lots. And Lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Okay. Lots are a pagan system. The Roman soldiers cast lots for the garments of Jesus 43 days earlier. Okay, the lots are a pagan system. The church without God, the church without the Spirit, prays. The church without the Spirit has good thinking. The church without the Spirit has good planning. The church without the Spirit does good works. And the church without the Spirit can only rely on physical signs to teach them what to do next. Because that's what makes sense. This is good, solid church work. But it's not what Jesus asked them to do. Jesus didn't say, by the way, in the 40 days, make sure you pick a, make sure you guys get some dice, roll that dice, and whoever gets sevens, that's the next apostle, okay? <laughs> Snake eyes is out, sevens are it. That's what we're doing, right? Sevens are up. Got it? Everybody? Good? All right, time for me to ascend, right? No one said that, like, who's got the dice? Jesus, dice! Jesus is like, oh my gosh, i got to provide everything, right? It's just, <laughs> these are holy dice. That's why we're allowed to roll these. Given to me by Jesus Christ. It's, it's not good, but it's what we do. And that's why we're so, f- churches are so full of good works and good business and good thinking and prayer and very little Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit does stuff that no one can explain. Anyone can explain the lots. But the Holy Spirit does stuff that no one can explain. And that's why that little passage is put right before Pentecost when the Spirit fell. Beginning of chapter 2, listen to this unexplainable falling of God upon these people. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I want to say something real quick before I pass on to this next thing. Oftentimes, this is what people want in their Christian lives. They want fire from heaven. They want 120 of their best buds looking at them as they're laid out on the floor, you know, flopping around, lost in the spirit, saying to one another, isn't it unbelievable what God's doing? And I get that because it feels awesome. I have experienced incredible fallings of the spirit upon my life. Incredible. I grew up Pentecostal, like hardcore, like guy in the back row whose whole assignment was to catch the older women when they fell over. Okay, that's how I grew up. True story. Okay, I grew up in that. I get that feeling. But here's the problem. Without what happens next, you got to question some of that stuff. 
Because the stuff that transformed the city wasn't the 120 people experiencing amongst themselves a movement of God. It was people outside the room who heard the sound of God, who were drawn in, and then experienced the power of God in this specific way. It says they were dwelling in Jerusalem at this time, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, which meant the city was full of Jewish believers who didn't speak Hebrew. They were Jewish believers who had traveled to Jerusalem and didn't speak Hebrew. They were from all different regions of the area. Verse 6, and at the sound that they heard, a multitude of these believers came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing those who were speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? This would be like right now a group of Japanese people come in here, a group of German people come in here, a group of, of uh, uh, Turkish people come in here, right? And a group of Canadians come over here, right? It's, it's just a different group, right? And all of a sudden, as I'm speaking, everybody hears me in their own language, This is what is happening. This is what is turning the world upside down because they know that it's unexplainable. They know it's beyond anyone's comprehension. And so they are diving into this uh, uh, unexplainable thing because God is revealing himself in this powerful way. For those of you in the room who are hyper-charismatic, and I'm not hyper-charismatic, but I understand and I believe all the gifts exist. But let me be very clear. If the Spirit of God is moving upon you in a powerful way to simply bring you comfort and not bring him glory through the sharing of your gifts with anybody else, then I would question some of that. Because everything we do is to give glory to God. Everything. And every time we read these passages, we see that God got glory because the experience was unexplainable. People didn't understand how it could occur. They didn't understand how it happened. And that's exactly what God wanted. So suddenly people are saying to themselves, isn't this incredible? Isn't this amazing? This must be God. When the spirit fell on them, do you know what the Old Testament writers understood the spirit to be? It is the mind of God falling on people. The mind of God is falling on people when you understand this. Let's read that verse. Um... Jeremiah 31, this is the prophecy about this new covenant that you just experienced. This is how God prophesied it would happen. God says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Jesus is the new covenant, by the way. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, Abraham, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. No, he says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen to this in relation to the Holy Spirit that you all are supposed to have if you are a Christ follower. This is what it's going to look like. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Next verse. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each Uh, his brother saying, hey, I knew this about God. Let me teach you this about God. And say, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The Holy Spirit, if you need to understand it in any other way, is the mind of God falling upon you. The reason the church has exploded for the last 2,000 years is because God did not give us a program. He gave us a power. See, programs change. Ask any businessmen. Ask church planners. 
Half the reason I go to these things is because the way you planted churches 20 years ago is radically different than the way you plant churches now. They want to teach us new programs. But the church is built not on programs, but on power. In essence, we aren't given a program from the CEO. We're just given the mind of the CEO. And he runs our lives. And he says, oh, we're going to change this. Oh, we're going to do this. It makes no statistical sense for me to use my gifts to plant a church in this area. You know that, right? You realize I would be much better off to move to the Midwest, roll my sleeves down, and preach my face off. You guys know that, right? Like, it's amazing how, how churches are developed in the Midwest compared to what I got to deal with because of you people. <laughs> it just, it's unbelievable. Like, they just go, Bible, thousand people at church. It's unbelievable. It's like, it, it's just crazy. And I'm like, you know, I'm like dragging people in off the streets, you know, and trying to figure out what level of cursing we can have at church before it comes too much. And I mean, it's just a whole other paradigm in our area. But here's the thing, because of the Holy Spirit and because of what he does in all of us, he brings us together and he says, this is where I have you because we get to receive the mind of God. We're not just in relationship physically because of baptism. We are in relationship in covenant with him. And so he says, I want you to go to this other country, but there's nobody there and I'll be poor and it's dangerous. That's what I want. Then you've got peace because you know it. He says, I want you to stay in the Portland, Vancouver area. He says, I want you to help out with Kesed. He says, I want you to leave Kesed and go to another church. He says, he says, he says, he says. And when it's the mind of God written upon your heart, you go, that's what I'm supposed to do. You show up at a at a at an, you know, at the airport with a bunch of people who hate everything you believe and you go, I love you guys so much. I feel so home. Nice mohawk, grandma. You're just in it because God said, this is where I want you to be. This is what fell upon these people. This is what happened at Pentecost. They begin to bless other people with their gifts. And yes, they were comforted, but they were also called to dangerous places to do dangerous things, always for the benefit of God and God alone, always. And then it gives us a final warning, and this is what I'll wrap up with. Sometimes people believe that if God is in it, it's going to be successful no matter what. If God is in it, it's going to be successful, usually our version of success, no matter what meaning that everyone who hears me speak or everyone who watches me do what I do will be blessed because God told me to do it. So for instance, you're at a coffee shop and God says, go over and speak to the person at the counter. And you're like, oh, that person seems really, really poor and they don't really smell like me and I don't really feel God like I, I, I've never been homeless so I don't really know if I can relate to them. And God's like, yeah, but I've been homeless and I, can, I speak homeless pretty well. And so you, filled with the Holy Spirit, go over and you talk to this person and instead of them breaking down crying, saying, I've been waiting for you, they say something that I can't repeat in church and maybe even physically push you away and then complain to the manager that you're bothering them because they're wearing a coat that isn't as nice as yours. Those are real stories that really happen. And oftentimes we believe that when God teaches us to speak to people, that they're going to respond how we think they're going to respond. But that wasn't even the case here. The last verse in this passage reminds us in verse 12, that yes, they're all amazed, and yes, they're all perplexed or curious. And they were saying to one another, what does this mean? So they were asking questions about these, these now Christians who were speaking their language. But look at the last thing it says. But there were others. And they were mocking. And they said, nah, they're just filled with wine. This is Pentecost, by the way. This, is the, this may be the most acute Holy Spirit Ever 
and people outside the clay walls are like, yep, they're drunk. Wouldn't you think the Holy Spirit would just overcome everyone's doubts and fears and failures? Wouldn't you think the Holy Spirit would just overcome every single person you're supposed to befriend in order to share Christ's love with? Wouldn't you think that? Because it certainly says here that that's not what happened, nor is that the case. Your job is not to determine the outcome. Your job is to speak. Your job is to show love. Your job is to lean into the mind of God, the Spirit's presence in your life, and do what he asks you to do. Because the Holy Spirit speaks all these things. The Holy Spirit speaks rich if you're poor. The Holy Spirit speaks poor. The Holy Spirit speaks minority. The Holy Spirit speaks white. The Holy Spirit speaks gay. The Holy Spirit speaks, speaks prideful. The Holy Spirit speaks religion. The Holy Spirit speaks pagan. The Holy Spirit speaks all these different things that you cannot seem to relate to. And so all you want to do is stay in your 120 person upper room, lay on the floor, look at your buddy and say, doesn't it feel amazing to have be the ones chosen by God. And God's like, I chose you to go. I chose you to share. I chose you to know my mind. And over and over and over, God goes to people who deny him and he loves them anyways. This has always been the mind of God to speak to unreachable people, to receive their spit and their curses and with Christ, their violence. We are called to rise to this challenge. We are not called to succeed. We are not called to, 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 to overcome. We are not called to do any more than be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, friends, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ ended up with nails in them, and that was the will of the Holy Spirit. So you and I, we got a lot of contemplating to do. Because if we're called to this culture, we better get better at talking to this culture. We better get better at speaking to this culture because I've said all these different things the Holy Spirit speaks. You know what he speaks, right? I shouldn't have to tell you this. It's called love. What God speaks is love. And love does judge. And love does condemn. And love does forgive. And love does raise up. And love does break down. All these things in the Bible that love does because God is love and God does all those things. But we've got to decide to be a church that's not afraid to sit behind our brick walls downtown and just hope the spirit comes and moves and shakes among us. If that's the point of that, I mean, we're just like popcorn in a bag then. What's the point? We're just going to heat up and burn out. Maybe some smell will ooze out into the streets, but probably not with Dairy Queen across the way. The Holy Spirit wants us to evaluate ourselves, and it wants us to bring glory to him through our gifts, whatever those gifts may be, charismatic or not. And he wants us to be willing to pay the cost and make the ask and do it in love no matter how different the people are around us. And if you're called to this church and you're called to these people, I guarantee you you're called to that. If you're not, then you're not supposed to be here. There's a lot of other churches in town that will meet what you're looking for. This won't be one of them. We are not going to waste the upper room that God gave us downtown, the downtown room that God gave us. We're going to leave it, and we're going to bless, and we're going to break. I promise you. I promise you it's how it's going to happen. And it's going to be through the breaking of our hearts that we are blessed. And so these are the people that I'm partnering with because this is the church that I'm still a part of. And you know what? Through the Holy Spirit's prompting, I want to tell you, we're responsible for this generation. It's our turn. We're responsible to speak it into our kids and to our neighbors and everybody else. The Holy Spirit will make it happen. But I do not want to be the only city in the country whose rocks cry out. I want to cry out. And I'm in a dark area, I know. 
But that's why we're going to light it up. What other area would you rather be in? The most lit area, lighting it up? How boring is a torch during the day? Stick me in a field at night with a lot of straw around. See what happens. <laughs> this is who we're called to be. It's a little brutal today. It's a little um, edgy, maybe. But I believe it's scripture-based. And I believe it's built out of love. And I believe God will do something with those of you in here who receive it. And I also believe this. And I respect you. I believe some of you in here won't. Because you don't want to know the mind of God. You really enjoy casting those lots. I mean, there's so much control in it. Everybody can see it. It makes sense. You're your own leader. It's not the life I want to build. It's not the church I want to be a part of. And it's not the way we're going to go. We're going to be spirit-led, scripture-taught, and we're going to let God weed out all the rest. Amen? Amen? Amen. I'm going to have the worship team come out, and we are going to spend some time in this because uh, it's important. It's important to ask your part. How do you hook up to this? How does that work? Here's the thing. A lot of people are looking for a card or a next step. I'm not giving you one. Uh, the whole point of today is that the Spirit's going to lead you. It's going to lead you to ask questions. It's going to lead you to make a phone call, to send an email, to do something more. No, I'm not going to give you a next step as you leave the door. Your next step is to sit here for five solid minutes and contemplate, God, what is it through your Holy Spirit that you have for me? What is your mind for me? What is it you are trying to bring me to? What gifts am I denying having? What do you want to awaken spiritually in me? Who is it, Lord, that I need to sit next to, that I need to talk? Who is it, God, that it's okay that they deny and don't want to know what you've shared with me? Who is it that I'm supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus for? God, may there be a fire that burns within me that causes me to rise up and soak my soul in your presence as I am filled, Lord, with your life-giving love, as I am part of this legacy, 2,000 years old, 120 people that have developed into a worldwide movement, and now it's our turn, Lord. We receive it, God. We praise you, God. We follow you, God. We proclaim you, God. There is, needs to be a spiritual release in this room. For some, Lord, it's shame. It is keeping them bound up because of who they think they are, but not who through your mind you see them as. For others, Lord, it's forgiveness. They just can't let go of what's happened to them. They can't let go of what they've done to others. Lord, through the blood of your cross and the power of your spirit, I pray against that right now, God, that there would be a huge release, that they would leave here new creations, new transformations, freed by the love of the Son. Holy Spirit, for others, it's pride. They don't want to admit they've been living it the wrong way all this time. They don't want to admit to their family and friends that the path they took was more about them than it was about you. It was more religion than relationship. And Lord, I ask that you would break them free of that, that it would be the humility in their eyes that their family sees that would change their family for others. For others, God, for others in this room, it's about feeling small. They don't feel like they can contribute. They don't feel like they, they're enough. Lord, I ask today they would be reminded as they look in the mirror that there is a painter. There is a creator. And you did take a lot of time on them. And Lord, you have a life for them they have yet to experience. May they leave charged from the inside out, dripping with purpose.
Lord, there are so many people with so many backgrounds in this room. Only you can meet them all. But what I know, Lord, is that your fire can fall upon this place and it can cleanse us. It can heal us. It can judge us. It can discipline us. It can bring us to our knees or cause us to raise our hands. It can bring to the front of our minds things you want us to walk through this week. May no one leave here, Lord, distracted by anything other than your presence. May they take those next steps to be the children you've called them to be, to be the men and women you've called them to be, to have the marriages you've called them to have. May, Lord, there not just be one voice, but many voices, not not one person, but a church full of people willing to move out into this world, filled with your presence, filled with your spirit, filled, God, with your mind and your purposes. I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I lift your name above it all. For you are the one who, as we said at the beginning of the service, deserves all the glory.